0: Thanks, Liana, for doing that. (coughs) Yes, and we are in the last chapter of the series. So what's God going to say to us tonight through this last chapter? Let's just bow together and ask the Lord Jesus to uh, open our hearts and minds. Father, we continue to ask you to do that. (coughs) We want to be like Samuel, Lord, who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we want to be your servants tonight, Lord, who are listening to what you're saying. There's lots of stuff that can distract us, Lord, and we pray that you'll just put all that away and just help us, Lord, as Hebrews talking about, just to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, we just want to hear from him. We want to see him tonight. And uh, already we've been enjoying his presence. So, Lord, as we just open your word now, Help us to hear from you, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, last week, um, as we came to chapter 12, we looked at this wonderful picture of a time of celebration. This time of celebration and sacrifice that took place in Jerusalem as the people of God celebrated God and dedicated to Him. The completion of the wall and so we read words like this from 12 from chapter 12 verse 43 and on that day they offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy the women and children also rejoice and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away great picture of what God was doing with his people and it all ended on a such a positive note and it was as if, like a fire, I love the song that was just sung recently, um, just like a fire of revival had swept through the hearts of God's people. Something marvellous was happening to God's people. I liken it to the fire, that, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit that God sends. And speaking of such a fire, it was interesting to read a comment made by General William Booth. Now, General Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. <clears throat> And he once said this to a, to a group of new officers. He said, I want you young men always to bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. Well, we all know that that's true. We all know it's true, just as General Booth was also as he was also hinting about, it's also true that when it comes to the fire of spiritual fervor and of service to God, which God wants us to have as his people, we also, we, we do need to be continually stirred and fed, as William Booth talked about. Stirred and fed. And I love how Hebrews 10 puts that. He's, the writer of Hebrews 10 says, Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That we are to spur one another on. ...toward love and good, good deeds. And I, don't, and I believe that unless we are stirred and spurred... ...in our love for God... ...you know, in his word, for his, for his word and, and for service... ...that we can very easily begin to experience the fire... ...the fire starting to dim... ...the fire starting to kind of go out a bit. And you know what, the world will very happily accommodate that. The world will give you everything you need... ...to kind of cause your fire for God to kind of dim and smolder and basically go out. As I said before, the world will very happily accommodate that. You see, it happened to the people in Nehemiah chapter 13. All the things, everything that they promised to do, all the vows that they promised to keep before God, the fire in their hearts was going out. In chapter 10, the Israelites promised... Not to become involved in mixed marriages. That they would, be, that they would uh, keep the Sabbath. That they would keep all the other appointed feasts and festivals. And that they would bring their offerings and tithes into the storerooms of, of the house of God. And all their promises that they made could be summed up by these words uh, that they said in chapter 10 and verse 39. When they said, we will not neglect the house of God we will not neglect the house of God but isn't it interesting because now we read in chapter 13 verse 11 so I rebuked the officials and asked them why is the house of God being neglected why is the house of God neglected didn't they promise that they wouldn't neglect the house of God so what happened what happened here what happened what happened what changed why has this fire dimmed, this fire of, of, of revival in their singing, in their celebration of God? Why is this fire now starting to fade? And I guess more importantly, what can you and I learn? Because that's really what it is all about, really. it's I'd love to do a history lesson on the scripture, but what does it all mean for us personally? What can we learn today from, this, from, from, the, from the teaching of God's word so that our fire, our fire, for God, keeps burning strong and doesn't dim or fade. Because as I said, we're living in a world that will very easily throw wet blankets over anything and cause your fire to start going out. You know, one of the, one of the key things that, uh, that stand out in this passage, in this chapter, is the question of leadership. I, I think if you're, if you're doing any studies on leadership, you need to study Nehemiah great passage great great book on leadership and I believe that the presence of godly leadership among God's people is a contributing factor a major contributing factor in fact um, uh, that influences whether or not our spiritual fire grows or it dims it's not the only factor because in the end the reality is that you and I will make our own choices You'll make a choice no matter what the leadership's like, no matter what you hear, no matter someone who's fanning your fire, you may choose, I don't want it fanned. I just want to do my own thing. And you'll make your own choices and decisions regardless. That's the bottom line, really. It's your choice. I remember a song long, long time ago. Pat Boone, I think it was. That's going back a long time. All right, all right. And he sang this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. You see, it is that's the reality of it. It's what you choose to do. Have you you decided to follow Jesus? You need to do that. You'll never regret, but you will regret if you don't follow him. Yeah, so as I said, godly leadership is a major factor. Not the only one, but it certainly is a major one. We read this in Nehemiah 13 six to seven for example he says this but while all this was going on while all this was going on in other words the neglect of God's house the neglect of God's service all this stuff starting to unravel for them while all this was going on Nehemiah says I was not in Jerusalem I wasn't there for in the 32nd year of of, uh, Artaxerxes, king of Babylon I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah had been in Jerusalem for around about 12 years uh, as governor of Judah. But then he needed to return to Persia again, to King Artaxerxes, as was the agreement which he honoured. Now, that's an important thing. I think it's so important, folks, that you and I, we honour with our word. When you give your word to someone, particularly your boss, if you're working in a secular environment and you give your word to your boss, you make sure you honour that. Just like, just like Nehemiah did to the king Artaxerxes, a Gentile king, but he honoured him. He honoured the word. He honoured his promises to his boss. Nehemiah did that. We read this in verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, for example. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back so I pleased the king to send me so I set a time he set a time and he honored that time we need to do that we need to do that so when that time came Nehemiah returned for an unspecified period of time we don't know how long that was some say around about two years so he returned uh, back and, and then and then he came back to Jerusalem and then he found of course he found the people in a mess in a mess And again, it seems to me that one of the factors, one of the major factors here was the absence of godly leadership in this situation. It's interesting because Moses experienced the same thing. Remember that? Moses experienced the same thing. The golden calf. Where was he when the people were doing this? Was he around? Was his influence as a godly leader there? No, it wasn't. Exodus 32, for example, says this. When the people saw that Moses was long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. This is it interesting, it's probably that's where that saying comes, when the, mouse, when the cat's away, the mouse, the mice will play. And you see, when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he sees this same contributing factor for himself And he was greatly disappointed. It almost seems that because of his leadership wasn't there, things were starting to unravel. And we get a bit of a picture of that in chapter 13. Verses 4 and 5 says this. Before this, Elisha, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God, of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. There's a few issues, a few problems here, isn't there? And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles. And also the tithes of grain, new wine oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. Verse 7 to 9. Here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased... And threw all to buy his household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Eliashib, this priest, as a leader with any godly leadership qualities, was a lost cause. He treated with contempt the house of God and he compromised his leadership by having a close, a close association with one of Israel's enemies, Tobiah. Now, Tobiah and Sanballat were friends. Um, we also discover in verse 28, if you looked at that, that Sanballat's daughter was married to one of Eliashib's relatives. There's a lot of stuff going on here that just doesn't add up and doesn't, and doesn't sort of give that place for God leadership to, to be. Um, so what's all the significance of this with these guys? Well... Well, let's be reminded of who Sanballat and Tobiah really were and what they did. So we go back to the early parts of Nehemiah, back to chapter 4, for example, and verses 7 and 8, and we read these words. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had, had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So it was no wonder that Nehemiah was so angry and upset with the liarship's poor and compromising leadership. And a lot of damage is done when people like this are put in these places of responsibility. It happens today as well. And for these kinds of reasons, how essential, how essential it is that God's people seek to be God's appointed leaders. I wonder if you consider yourself to be a leader today as one of God's people. I'd like to think that you're in some place of leadership by the very fact that you are one of his kids, that you're a child of God. You need to be in a kind of a leadership role. In your families, for example, um, you need to be a God. God's appointed leaders in your families. We need to make sure that we are walking with the Lord, that we are one of his leaders in our families, that we're a leader in our schools, universities workplaces and certainly in our churches to lead his people to shine your light to let your light shine I think that sort of shows a bit of a leadership quality I'm not necessarily saying that you need to be a school captain or some prefect or something like that but just having a leadership role shining your light letting your salt be salty in the environment that God puts you Um, and to certainly by leading God and God's people in, in, in God's ways and influencing others in the things of God that's probably what I mean. Here. That's probably what I mean here. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says about godly leadership. He says this: Remember your leaders, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews thirteen seven and eight. Verse seventeen of Hebrews thirteen says this: Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would not for that would not be of any advantage to you. Um, good words for leaders, for those who aspire to be leaders. Good to hear these kinds of things. Um, in his book called Leading with Integrity, Leading with Integrity, Fred Smith he says this about leadership in the church. He says, if we are to do God's work God's way, we must start with character. Christian leaders need to examine themselves so that with the Apostle Paul they can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Unfortunately, he says, we are not as conscious of our character flaws as we are of our inadequacies in the areas of knowledge and experience. He goes on and says this, in my 60 years of business, that's a long time, isn't it? In my 60 years of business, nobody has said I have a flawed character. It's much easier to admit a lack of skill than to admit to a character weakness. Yet from 75 to 80% of the failures I've seen have been character failures. It's interesting, isn't it? The church must be involved in character building, helping men and women to grow into the maturity of Christ leaders are responsible for modeling and encouraging character and integrity good words wise words that's for sure for us even today and how critical this is for us as a church to have godly and god appointed leaders in all areas of service who exhibit these godly qualities and get this this is also important not only to exhibit the godly qualities, but I believe that God's leaders also long for and desire to see those same qualities being moulded and forged in the followers that they have as well. And I see that happening a little bit with the young people, particularly those of you who are mentoring other young people. Not only do you need to be a role model to them, but you also need to have this longing in your heart. And I believe God puts it there for all of us. I want to see a Christ likeness being forged in these people who are under me, if you like, or or being uh, mentored by me. I want to see Jesus uh, living His life in them, forging His character in them. These godly qualities of leadership. So I wonder this, I wonder tonight if you're willing for God to put His hand on you here tonight. I don't care how old you are, but if you, and if you're not in a leadership role, I wonder if you're willing to be in that role. Maybe even here in this church or in some other place in his kingdom. God God has a big kingdom. It's not just here in the church. A big kingdom. could be anywhere. It could be a church plant maybe. Who knows what God wants to do. But I wonder whether or not you're willing for God to put his hand on you. And for you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll be the person you want me to be. And I'm willing to pay the price. Because there is a price. I might talk about that in a minute. But I wonder if you're willing to be that. Notice I didn't say to you, I'm not saying to anyone, uh, is anyone ready and able to go? You know, because I don't think any of us ever really feel as though we are completely ready or able. I think if we're honest, most of us feel uh, fairly inadequate and reluctant. That's how I think that most of us feel, most of the time when we're in each service for God. Because as I said, there is a cost to leadership, particularly... Uh, In Christian leadership there is a price there's a cost in following Jesus we know that as disciples Jesus said if anyone would come after me he must what tell me he must deny himself yep take up his cross daily and follow me there's a price there's a cost doesn't come cheap but there are great rewards if God puts his hand on you and you say yes Lord I'm willing to take up a leadership role I'm willing for you to forge the character of yourself in me no matter how painful or costly it might be, I'm willing for you to do it, Lord. I wonder if you're going to pray that prayer tonight. You know, the other thing, the other thing that I just want to touch on uh, regarding leadership, godly leadership, is this, that if, if we don't get things right in our own lives, I know God is gracious, he is, he's, he's beautifully gracious, he's merciful to us. When we fall, he picks us up. But I want us to just think about this. If we don't get it right in our own lives, if our walk with God is not consistent, if we're compromising with stuff, if we're fooling around in the world, with the world's stuff, if we don't get it right, if we don't get our own walk with God right, and we don't get into the habit of developing a closeness with God, an intimacy with God, which Jesus wants with each one of you, you think you're close to Jesus now? He wants you so much closer to him. And when you think you're there and when you think you're that much closer, he wants to take you even further. Even further. To where you won't believe just where he wants to take you and you won't believe what he wants to do in your life and how he wants to reveal himself into your life. You've got a long way to go. We all have. Never stops until the day we we step out of this earthly form right into his glorious presence. He wants an intimacy with you. And I don't think we get that. He wants to mold, mold you and forge his godliness, his Christ-likeness into you. And we need to let him do it. We need to have this closeness with God, because I believe that, 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 uh, I do believe that worldly compromise can be, very, can be one of those things that very easily creeps into the church. In Nehemiah 13, the things <coughs> excuse me, the things that the Israelites promised to do were the very things that they compromised in. And I don't believe it happened the very day that Nehemiah went back and left Jerusalem. I think it happened over a period of time. I don't think that this sort of compromise and this kind of stuff that, 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 were happen- that was happening in chapter 13, I don't think it happened the very day that he stepped back and went, went back to, to Persia. Um, Oswald Chambers, he wrote this. He said, today the world has taken so many things out of the church and the church has taken so many things out of the world that it's difficult to know where you are. Today the world has, he goes on and says this, today the world has so infiltrated the church and says a guy called Vance Havner that we are more beset by traitors within than by foes without. And he says this interesting statement, he says, Satan is not fighting the churches, he's joining them. Interesting things to think about, isn't it? It's just good to ponder some of those things. You may not necessarily agree with all that, and that's okay, but it gets you thinking, doesn't it? And that's what we need to do. But I guess the point I want to make is that it all seems to happen gradually. And in the most part, it's not completely obvious. It's like the sort of the frog being put in the kettle type thing on the stove and then the heat just gradually being turned up to where the frog gets used to it to the point to where it just cooks it. doesn't realise how hot it's getting there. It all happens very slowly. It all happens not completely obviously, very subtly. It takes place, these kinds of compromises that creep into our lives. You know, interesting, for some reason, uh, maybe it's my ambulance days, but it kind of reminded me a bit of a person being overcome by carbon monoxide poisoning. It kind of creeps into your body and you don't realise it. We went to cases, uh, I remember going to a number of cases where people were either very sick with carbon monoxide poisoning or, unfortunately, they deliberately put themselves in a position where they took themselves out with carbon monoxide poisoning. But the thing that happened, the thing that was interesting is that the carbon monoxide that was entering their system, if you were to look at them from the outside they had quite a nice pink glow about their skin because that's what it does it gives them a nice pink kind of a glow and that's because the carbon monoxide molecule attaches very quickly to the... I'm getting myself a little bit lost here... to the haemoglobin, there we go, thank you Dr Brendan Um, and that's what it does, so if you've got a mixture If you're breathing in a mixture of carbon monoxide and you've got oxygen, the carbon monoxide has a greater affinity for your hemoglobin than the oxygen does. And it gives you this lovely, healthy, pink-looking glow. But inside, what's going on? You are slowly being suffocated and poisoned. And I just think that we need to be aware of how the enemy so subtly can get into our Christian lives, into church. You compromise a little bit here, compromise a little bit there. We just got to be careful. And that's why I believe the remedy to all that is your walk with Jesus, your closeness with Him, you're getting into the Scripture, you're reading the Word of God, you're saying to the Holy Spirit, speak Lord, your servant is listening. You're saying to the Lord, I want you to speak to me Lord, I want to know what the Spirit is saying to the church, I want to know what the Spirit is saying to me. So walk with Jesus closely, develop an intimacy with Him. And then you will pick immediately those compromises that the enemy is trying to bring into your life. And we will pick it as a church, those things that are coming into the church. Because we don't want anything. We don't want the fire going out in this church. We don't want to be suffocated and poisoned. Because it can happen very, very easily. But it does happen over a period of time. And I believe that the, uh, the Apostle Paul was fully aware of these kinds of things, these kinds of dangers for believers and for the church. And therefore, he wrote to the Roman believers saying these words. See, everything we need to know is right here, guys. It's right in this book. Amazing book. Are you reading it? Are you reading it regularly? Are you using it as a love letter to you? Not just something to study and to do the tick in the box yet done that today? Read it as a love letter to you, because that's what it is. Um, And Paul says this. He says, I therefore urge you, look at that language he's using, I therefore urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, spiritual act of worship. Do not conform. This is important. This is what he says. He says, Do not conform any longer any longer if you have been don't do it any longer he says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind he says when you do that then you'll be able to test and approve what good what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will and I know I've said it before I've raved on about and I'll probably rave on more about that you tell me anything better than God's will Please tell me if you can think of anything that's, that's good or that, that's better than, what does it say? Good, pleasing, perfect. Good, pleasing, perfect. Anything? Anything better than that? Anything you can do that can beat that? So when you think about it like that, it's logical, isn't it, to say, God, I want your will. Because your will is good, pleasing, and it's perfect. Mine doesn't work quite like that. So we need to develop this. God wants to develop godly leadership qualities in you as he has and as he did with Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah is a true inspiration, I believe, of what godly leadership really looks like. He's the one that kept the fire burning in his life for God. And in summary, I never wrote these down up there, but I want you to, if you've got a pen and paper, you want to write them down, I'll read them slowly to you. In summary, he was a man who was these four things. He was earnest in prayer. Oh, I did put it down there. How about that? Thank you, Lord. I thought I'd missed it. Look at these. They're worth noting. He was a man that was earnest in prayer. He treasured a deep personal faith. His dependency on God... Sorry, he depended on God's grace alone. By the grace of God, you and I here tonight, we could have been anywhere else. You might not even be alive. By the grace of God, we are dependent on his grace. And we're conscious of, Nehemiah was conscious of his accountability to God. It's good, sobering stuff for us to be aware of the fact that one day we're going to stand before God. We are already, we are accountable to him right now. But one day we will stand before him and give an account of our accountability. Are you ready for that? Are you doing everything that you're doing? Are you keeping these things in your mind? Just as Nehemiah did. In all that Nehemiah endured and all that he achieved, he never did allow the flame to dim and go out in his life. He's an excellent role model for us of what godly leadership is all about. Let me close with the prayer that he prays. And perhaps as I do this, it might be your prayer as well. But, you know, before I do, um, now I'll read this prayer. Then I just want a time of quietness, probably just for a few seconds. It might seem like a lifetime for some of us. But I just want a time of quietness where you're reflecting and listening to what, what God's saying to you, and perhaps what you want to say back to God. So this is how Nehemiah prayed. Perhaps it might be something of your prayer too. He says this: "Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services." Just a quiet moment of reflection just before I ask the worship team to come up. Father I want to thank you for the way you do speak when we're listening please teach us how to listen please teach us how to be still and know that I am God please teach us what it's like to cease striving and know that you are the Lord God the one who loves us so deeply that love never fails it's an everlasting love thank you for caring so much for us I just want to thank you for every precious soul that's in this building tonight loved for so deeply and cared for by you Um, and Father I want to thank you for the plans that you have for them and Lord for anyone who's in leadership and God please help us all to be leaders in our own right in that we are sons and daughters of the King, we're children of God, we want to shine our light, Lord, we want to be those who really show that Jesus is the way, that he's the truth, that he's the life, and indeed that no one comes to the Father except through him. Father, help our lives to so role model those godly qualities that we see in Nehemiah, help us in our church, help us in our families, help us in our workplace, wherever we are. Help us to role model the qualities that we see in your servant. And may Jesus himself be pleased and highly exalted uh, in our lives. Father, we give you all the glory and the praise as we go out into the rest of the evening and indeed to the new week that lies ahead. Thanks for the things that you've been saying to us. I just want to bless you, Lord, by faith for what you've been saying to our young people on their camp, for the girls' brigade on their camp, for others that are involved. Uh, Thanks for what you've been saying to us. Help us now to put that into practice. And we just want to, again, surrender ourselves to you that you'll have your way in each of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Bless your church.